doing these videos outside. I initially planned on doing this one outside. It's a beautiful day, but there appears to be a concerted effort for every single stinking leaf blower, lawnmower, machine of any kind to be operating outside today. So I got to do this inside. And it was interesting how easily irritation uh, springs up in my spirit. I'm testing this video right now to see if you can hear the sound of a leaf blower. There's something blowing behind me. And I don't know if it'll be apparent or not, so I will test this and see. And if it is true, as Dallas Willard said, that one of the ways that you can assess the well-being of your soul is how easily irritated am I. There's stuff in my soul that I wish were not there, that ought not to be there. I was going to a pastoral cohort meeting with Nancy Beach earlier this week, and when I got my car the little uh, idiolite came on in the dashboard that said that my tires are not properly inflated. And I don't know anything about that sort of stuff. So I just guessed how much they should inflate to and hope that they would not explode on my way to the meeting. And so far they have not. But it brought up this thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if our souls had little idiolites? Why is it that we're able to figure out how to assess things physically with our cars or even our bodies, but we have such a hard time with our souls? And this gets to a real serious topic that is difficult to uh, approach in a way that we're able to absorb it in our day that has to do with sin and lostness and the core problems of our wills and our minds and our bodies and our relationships and our souls. Dallas is writing about this in the third chapter of this book, Renovation of the Heart, that we're going through, Radical Evil in the Ruined Soul. And he talks about how our core problem is we want to play God. We want to think that we are God. We do not want a God to whom we are accountable, who we must obey in the universe. So he writes, this is on page 52, uh, in taking oneself in practice, or humanity taking itself in practice as God, the great world historical force of denial comes into play. It is this that accounts for the perpetual human blindness to the obvious. We can never understand human affairs at any level, beginning in my own life, my own idiot lights coming on without taking this into account. This alone explains why the rulers of this age, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, do and are permitted to do the things they do up to the crucifixion of the Lord of glory himself. Denial of reality is a capacity inseparable from the human will as we know it and has its greatest power when it operates without being recognized as such. In a world apart from God, the power of denial is absolutely essential if life is to proceed. This is so remarkable. The will or spirit cannot, psychologically cannot, sustain itself for any length of time in the face of what it clearly acknowledges to be the case. Therefore, it must deny and evade and delude itself. And it works like this. I was, we were talking about self-esteem in a 
recent episode. And I used to work at a church where there were a lot of people that could function at a real high level, a lot of people with a lot of resources, highly educated. The shadow mission for our old church, previous senior pastor used to say, a successful church for successful people. That was our shadow mission. And I uh, oftentimes would take a fair amount of pride at being able to be associated with a church and people like that. And then one day I was at a laundromat and there were a couple of other people there and I was using the dry cleaning. They were there because they didn't have access to a washer and a dryer, both from under-resourced communities, both African-American, both from a cultural context where I was glad to say I'm a pastor because that was like a status gainer there. And then they asked where I was a pastor and I told them and one of them said, oh, I hear there's a lot of rich people at that church. And the other one said, yeah, I hear it's a pretty good church though. And all of a sudden in that little circle, the thought of what does it mean to be part of a community of people where there's a lot of resources. And quite honestly, most of us tend to think most of the time about how can we get more resources so that we can spend more and be even more secure and have even more wonderful experiences. All of a sudden that, which could be a source of self-esteem in my life in normal times, when I was sitting in a different context, I saw from a completely different point of view. And for a moment, that power of denial was broken. Now, this leads to a great problem that we're spending some time with, and I know it is not a popular one, but it is coming to grips with the reality of sin and that really sin is the primary problem of the human race and the one that we should most often fear. We usually fear bad things happening to us or to those that we love. We fear suffering. But sin is much worse because sin is not just bad things happening to us. It's bad things happening in us. When it gets into me, into my will, and into my mind, and into my body, I am bringing bad, evil, malice, the disruption of shalom into the world through me. That's the worst thing. Francis Spufford wrote a book called Unapologetic, Why Christianity Still Makes Surprising Emotional Sense. And he spends a fair amount of time talking about what sin is and that the problem is in our day, we associate it with um, indulgent food, uh, uh, taxes on alcohol or cigarettes are often called sin taxes. Unfortunately, the word just connotes to us a pleasant indulgence that is forbidden by some people who are probably repressed or self-righteous. And so he talks about uh, sin as the human propensity to mess things up. He doesn't use the word mess up. I've cleaned that up. Uh, it's very hard to capture the power of sin without using language that's kind of crude. You, you might want to listen to this whole talk before you allow your kids to listen to it. Uh, but he goes on to write about uh, how uh, it, it usually comes our realization of the power of sin in our life when something has gotten really strongly fouled up. Our appointment with realization, he writes, often comes at one of the classic moments of adult failure, failure when a marriage ends, when a career stalls or crumbles, when a relationship fades away, with a child seen only on Saturdays, when the supposedly recreational coke habit turns out to be exercising veto powers over every other hope and dream. It need not be dramatic, though. It can equally well be just drifting into place of one more pleasant, indistinguishable little atom of wasted time. One more morning like all the others, 
which quietly discloses you to yourself. You're lying in the bath and you scarcely notice you're 39 and you don't have children and that the way you're living bears scarcely any resemblance to what you think you've always wanted. Yet you got here by choice, by a long series of choices for things which at any one moment temporarily outbid the things you say you wanted most. And as the water cools, the light of Saturday morning in summer ripples heartlessly on the bathroom ceiling. You glimpse an unflattering vision of yourself as a being whose wants make no sense, don't harmonize, whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to at the same time. Now, this is what sin does to us. This is the problem that sin creates within us. This is the nature of sin. And honestly, if you want to try to capture the feel of sin in our day, this is another kind of crude word, but there's no other way of saying this. The word that most closely comes in our culture is the word asshole. And it's interesting, if you use the word sin, it sounds Victorian, quaint, repressive, uh, but the human condition doesn't change. It doesn't go away. And the problem of how do I become a good person and what happens if I'm not? What does it mean to be a bad person? Does not go away. And we will find ways to name it. It's very interesting. You might be familiar with the book that became a bestseller. Started as a couple of widely read articles by Robert Sutton. And it's called, and I'll just use a-hole, the no a-hole rule. And he insists on that word. That bully and jerk, Sutton says, do not convey the awfulness the degree of awfulness that the word asshole does. And then he lists the characteristics of those kind of people. We might just simply call them really bad people because that's what it means. But we don't use the language, he's a really bad person because then you would sound moralistic or quaint or uncool. So we will find other usually more crude words that convey the sting and the awfulness of it. And that's what the word sin conveyed in biblical times, but it no longer does. In Alcoholics Anonymous, somebody who comes up and says, uh, I, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic. There'll be a journey through there of desperation and of piercing of denial. See, the power of denial to hide. I'm an addict. Or, or collectively, we deny uh, climate change or deny the power of racism or I deny greed within my life or I deny the pride that I'm with rich people and that makes me feel better about myself and I just want I just want to feel good about myself that's the power of denial and the idiot lights are coming on and we don't see them so interesting Sutton says that companies need to screen for really bad people but they also need to screen for spineless wimps those are the two things companies need. See, those are description of spiritual formation, really of spiritual malformation, of deformation. We don't use those words anymore. And so uh, all of the rich language that the Bible uses, goodness, righteousness, holiness, sanctification, sin, lostness, are so sadly lost to us, and we have a really hard time then understanding the power of the human condition. So we'll get more deeply into this. We want to come out of denial. And I want to suggest today that you continue to use that little prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that I think about those words, 
Lord. I make you the Lord over all the parts of me, my will, my mind, my thoughts and feelings, my body, my habits, my appetites, my social relationships, and my soul, so that I'm no longer just this discordant collection of I want this, I want that, I don't want it. Jesus, my teacher, my friend who died for me, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that we have been waiting for. Have mercy, you love me, not based on my performance, but simply on your own goodness, by your grace. On me, a sinner. Let that prayer be our breath today as we invite God to pierce the denial that is inside of us so that we can see this reality that we want so much not to see. Because there is hope and healing, but it lies through this valley, not around it. And we're going through. See you next time. Thanks for listening. You can join the conversation and more by visiting becomenew.me slash subscribe.